The Lord be with you. Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the gospel that comes to us in the scriptures that we've read. I do pray that uh, the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts now would be pleasing to you, that we would be able to hear good news from you and respond with faith and with obedience and experience, Lord, the joy of your welcome to us in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we have a a very well-known parable. This is perhaps... uh, perhaps one of the stories or one of the sections of Scripture that is most well-known, uh, even among people who would never proclaim uh, the name of Christ. Um, it's a parable of the prodigal son. And, you know, it's, we all kind of know what this story is about, right? Uh, we know that it's about a father who welcomes a lost son home. We know it's about a son who is exchanging the food of the wilderness for the food of home, uh, as in the story that we read from Joshua. But the actual punchline of this parable, I think, is oftentimes buried underneath the brilliance of of what the father does for the younger son, which is great, and we need to examine that and look at it and behold it. Uh, But the punchline of this parable is a a bit different, and um, we want to focus on that today and hear good news from it. We need to hear who Jesus is talking to, and we need to hear why he's saying what he says to these people at this time. And the key for us is in the text, the very first few verses that we read. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered or grumbled, and they said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Today we proclaim this good news. In Christ, the old world of status and competition is over. And new creation is here. God moves with compassion toward all who are alienated from Him, reconciling us to Him and to each other, celebrating us in His love. Will you drop your judgments and join the party? That's the invitation we have today. Will you drop your judgments and join this party that God is throwing for those who return to Him? Uh, in, in many ways, you guys will know that uh, we, have, we usually start these sermons with a little story, right? A little uh, a narrative, some way of kind of connecting us with the story. And um, I debated whether or not to do one of these because in some ways, Jesus telling the parable of the prodigal son is his own connecting story for the Pharisees and the message that he wanted to deliver to them, the good news that he wanted to deliver to them. But it did remind me of a story that uh, has been... Um, Uh, really meaningful for me over the years. Some of you may have heard me talk about uh, before The Great Divorce. How many of you guys have ever read The Great Divorce? Yeah, it's a great story. Um, And in in, C.S. Lewis wrote it, and uh, it's a very short book, um, and it's kind of a parable in and of itself. And in that story, The Great Divorce, the narrator finds himself among a people from a gray town, uh, dreary, uh, drab, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a good place to live. Um, and he finds himself among these people, and they're all waiting at a bus stop, and they're getting ready to board a bus, which is, go- they're all board this bus, and the bus flies upward. So you can kind of tell this is like a, something fantastical is happening here. The bus flies upward over Greytown and eventually lands uh, near a beautiful river, on a hot, huge cliff near a beautiful river, and there's mountains in the distance, there's green grass everywhere. It's a beautiful place where they land. And the narrator soon discovers that he himself is in the afterlife, and the gray town is hell, and the ed- this huge cliff is heaven. And uh, all of these souls who are from the gray town, who are from hell, are taking a bus tour to the outskirts of heaven. That's kind of how the story 
proceeds. And as he realizes this, he sees another group of people who are walking towards these ghosts. They're basically, the, the people from hell are called ghosts, where they're, they're becoming less and less real, less and less tangible. They're becoming ghosts. And so as another group of people start approaching these ghosts, they're bright and they have solid bodies. And the bright people have come to try and talk with the ghosts, to try to invite them into heaven, to say, there's no gate, you can come. Why not come? And so they're, you know, it's kind of like sponsors, you know, in a sense. It's sort of like these people who are sent to say, welcome, you can, you can join us too uh, in this beautiful country. And the narrator, uh, during the course of this story, notices one particularly large ghost whom he names the big ghost. And the big ghost notices that one of the spirits, one of, the, one of these bright uh, beings that has come to meet him is his old, uh, not really friend, but a person who used to work for him named Len. And this person who used to work for him is named Len. And um, Len, while they were alive, had murdered another co-worker named Jack. And this had scandalized the big ghost uh, while, while they were alive, and he thought, man, that, that is so awful. What an awful thing to do to murder uh, one of your co-workers. And the big ghost is scandalized by the fact that Len is here in heaven while he's stuck in this drab, dreary, gray town. He's offended by this. He says, well, look at you. Nice to be you, isn't it? And Len said, Len, you know, he, I mean, his actual words in the book are, well, I'll be damned. You look pretty pleased with yourself. What about poor Jack? And Len proceeds to tell him, like, well, Len, Jack's here too. He sends his love. And this sort of messes with the big ghost in a pretty significant way. And, and Len says, no, you'll, if you decide to stay, you'll meet Len. You'll meet Jack. He's here too. He sends his love. But you murdered him. Of course I did. But it's all right now. He's here too. He sends his love. He'd love to meet you. Will you come? But the big ghost isn't having it. What I'd like to know is how you, a bloody murderer, got into this place, and I've been walking the streets down there, living in a pigsty all these years. Personally, I think it ought to be the other way around. Look here, I've, I've played it straight my whole life. I did the best I could. I never asked anybody for anything that wasn't mine by rights. If I wanted a drink, I paid for it, fair and square. I took my wages because I did my job. I'm just asking for my rights, same as you. And Len says to the big ghost, he says, no, no, it's not nearly as bad as that. Uh, nobody gets what they deserve here. I didn't get my rights, and I'm so grateful for it. And you won't either. You'll get something far better. Come. The big ghost says, no, I want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity. And Len says, then do. Ask for the bleeding charity. Everything is here for the asking, and nothing can be bought. But that's not the kind of world the big ghost wanted to live in. And so he refuses to enter. Tell them I'm not coming. I'd rather be damned than go along with you. I came here to get my rights, see? Not to go sniveling along on charity and tied to your apron strings. If they're too fine to have me here without you, then I'll go home. And the big ghost turns his back and begins walking back towards the bus, back towards his home in the gray town refusing the offer to enter because he can't imagine being in a place where people like Len just get the same thing that he does, a murderer. We can all probably relate to the big ghost a little bit, yeah? Maybe not in such an extreme form. I was at a conference this past weekend, um, and uh, 
a mental note, don't sign yourself up to preach the week that you're at a conference. So anyway, I found myself slightly distracted the whole time trying to, trying to plan this sermon. Um, but one of, the things that, one of the things that happened at this conference, um, uh, we were invited, Matt and I um, were, were uh, wanting these conferences put on by some of our friends, and we love these guys, and we love these people, and we wanted to, at a certain point, put on a workshop for this conference, and, um, but it didn't work out for a variety of reasons. And, you know, I found myself kind of disappointed because we didn't get free registration and they might pay our travel. That was part of it. Because um, that's, that's what's kind of nice. It's like, hey, we'll do one of the workshops if, you know, if we don't need to spend that much money getting out to the conference. Um, but, but, you know, another part of it is, uh, another part of it is that, you know, I think I've got some good stuff to say. And uh, I think... I deserve to have a spot at one of these conferences, you know, doing a workshop. And I remember sitting in a workshop uh, with, hearing from a guy who teaches a lot of the same stuff that I teach. And I, I found my thoughts just kept going back to, I mean, not, not overwhelmingly, but they just kept going back to like, I feel like I could do a better job. I would do it a little differently. And I, you know, when he would stumble over his notes or he seemed a little insecure or maybe, you know, a little... Like not sure of what he was doing, I noticed in myself, like, yeah, I don't think I would be like that. <laughs> Can you guys relate to this? Maybe not in that context. Sometimes it's, you know, when I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. The Holy Spirit's working in this place. <laughs> But maybe, maybe you can relate in other ways. I, I notice sometimes after dinner um, when, you know, the mess is on the table and in the kitchen and I'm starting to clean up and, you know, the rest of my family is having a good time together, playing with the dog, right? And there's this little like, hey, why am I doing all the work around here? You know, join me. I work harder than anybody else around here. Maybe somebody got a promotion at work and you feel, eh, I should have gotten that. Maybe someone else's abilities are being celebrated and you feel like, it's not that great. I could do better than that. We're obsessed with these kinds of questions. Who gets the credit? Who's working the hardest? Who's the most deserving? We're so comfortable. It feels right to us to live in a world where people get what they deserve, where if you work harder, you get more. If you're more competent, you should have more opportunity. That just feels right to us, doesn't it? It feels fair. It feels just. But it's not the kingdom of God. Like, just like the big ghost, you can have that world and you can live there, but it's not heaven. It's not the kingdom of God. It just doesn't work like that. It's not a meritocracy. Everything is here for the asking and nothing can be bought. That's the kingdom. Everybody gets grace because everybody needs it. God is not measuring our worthiness. The question in the kingdom of God is not who's right and who's wrong, who's more worthy, who's less worthy. The question is who's here and who's not. And let's go invite the people who are not here to come and share in what we're experiencing. That's the kingdom of God. So we proclaim this good news that in Christ, the old world of status, competition, hierarchy, who's better, who's worse, is gone. It's over. It's done. And new creation is here. God moves with compassion toward all who are alienated from him, reconciling himself to us and to each other, celebrating us in his love. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees grumbled about it. We're learning to say hallelujah because that includes us. We get to be welcomed. We get to eat with him. Will you drop your judgments and join the party? 
Jesus is telling this parable to the Pharisees who are much like the big ghost in our little other parable, our meta parable. It's a parable upon parable. The big ghost in the parable is offended that people like that would get blessed like that. And this is the Pharisees. They've done all the right things. They've been responsible. They obey the law. And yet these tax collectors, these despised, degraded, dishonest, traitors, they just say they're sorry and they come to Jesus. And Jesus celebrates them like they've, they're a war hero or something. He sits down at a table with them, which is a huge marker in the ancient world of, of solidarity and family and honor. Jesus is honoring them by saying, I will eat with you, yes. He's celebrating their return, tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees just can't handle it because they want to live in a world where they get rewarded for the fact, I'm not a sinner like this person. I didn't get rich off, off, off this Roman occupation like these tax collectors. I've been obeying the law. I've been keeping Sabbath. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. How is that fair? It's into that situation that Jesus tells this parable. Then Jesus told them a parable. He tells two little mini parables initially about people who lost things and rejoice when they find them. And then he adds a little twist to this one because it's about a father who loses a son and rejoices, but it's also about another character who has a different response to the same events. And so he tells the parable, this younger son, father has two sons, he asks for his inheritance. This is highly irregular, very offensive. The younger son is saying to his father, I wish you were dead. I want to have nothing to do with you. Give me what's mine. He would have gotten a third of the estate because the older son gets the double portion. And he takes all that he's, who knows how this happened, like land, it wasn't money back then, but somehow he liquidated his assets enough that he was able to set off for a far country saying that I want nothing to do with you, I want nothing to do with this land, I'm going to spend my, he squanders his wealth in wild living, the text says. And things go from bad to worse because a famine hits the land and now he has nothing to fall back on and he hires himself out to a local citizen and he's feeding the pigs, which would have been just disgusting for for a Jew. And so the picture here is somebody who used to have wealth, who used to have status, who used to have honor, and because of his own dumb fault, squanders it all, shamefully squanders everything. And finally he comes to his senses. He's not repented really yet. He just comes to his sentence and says, you know what, my father at least would probably pay me to work for him. He would have at least that much mercy. And so I'm going to endure the gazes of all the village people, come back to my father. And so he decides I'm going to do this, I'm going to go back. He rehearses a speech, prepares a little confession that he hopes will be good enough to get him back into his father's good graces. At least his father may, might, not, might not let him die. But, of course, we see uh, here that uh, the, the, the father overshadows and buries the younger son's, all of his intentions, with his love. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him. The younger son's plans are just buried underneath this father's love. The father runs to him, which would have been like an old man running in that day, you know, hiking up his robe. Would have, people would have been like, you can see that guy's legs. That, like, that is a man who has no shame. That's what they would have said about him. And also, it also would have been shameful for him not to scold his son, but he doesn't do anything of the sort. 
to punish his son, to say, look where it got you. You're getting what you deserve. How do you like things now? But the father doesn't do any of that. He just says, he interrupts the son's speech, right? He, he, even before he has a chance to talk, he embraces him, he kisses him. And the son starts his little speech like, okay, father, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, I've sinned against heaven and on, on, on earth. And he tries, to, he tries to do his speech, but he's interrupted by the father. He says, hey, bring out the robe, bring out the sandals, bring out the ring. And the fattened calf we were saving for a special occasion, kill it. We're going to have a feast. We are going to party. This is going to be a party like this village has never seen before. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. He wasn't here and now he is. Let's celebrate. Let's have a party. It's not the son's confession that prompts all of this. It's just the son's return. That's repentance. It's just saying, okay, okay, I'm coming back. It's just coming back. And the father celebrates it. But here's where the punchline really comes for this parable. As beautiful as that is, and that our artwork this morning shows it. As beautiful as it is, the punchline comes here because there were two sons, remember. And there was two different responses to the younger son's return. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He hears the music. He hears the dancing. He asks the servants, what's going on? The story is again told through the servant. Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And here's where the second telling of the parable veers from the first. So far... The same events have happened. But where the father runs to his son and expresses compassion and throws a party because he's home, the older son has a different response. It says he became angry and refused to go in. He refuses to enter into the space where his father is. Jesus is here is emphasizing these different emotional reactions to the return of the prodigal. This return is happening. You guys are connecting the dots, right? The tax collectors and the sinners are returning to the Lord. Yes, they've sinned shamefully. They've squandered their wealth. But they're responding to the message of Jesus, and Jesus is celebrating it. But the Pharisees are grumbling, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus is painting a picture here to say, what you're doing when you refuse to celebrate and eat with those who are returning is excluding yourself from the Father. You're excluding yourself from the space of blessing. In Christ, the old world of status and competition of who's best and who's not is over. And the new creation is here. God moves with compassion toward all who are alienated from him, reconciling us to himself and to each other, celebrating us in his love. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Will you drop your judgments and join the party? And here's where we see the heart of the father, because the father does exactly what he did for the younger son. He goes out to his older son. He leaves the party. This would have been a scandal. To leave your guests and go plead with a rebellious son who's refusing to do his father's will. And he goes out to him and pleads with him, but the elder son complains, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Ever, I've never once disobeyed any of your orders, and you've never even given me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice the distance he's placing between his brother and his father, to say, this son of yours returns after having squandered your wealth with prostitutes, you 
kill the fattened calf for him. You throw the biggest party this neighborhood has ever seen. I don't want to be at a party where people like that are welcomed and celebrated. I don't want to be in a family where my hard work and my contribution are not recognized for what they are. And the father says, my son, you, <laughs> you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, notice the father bringing the connection back. This son of yours. He says, no, this brother of yours. He belongs to you. You belong to him. He was dead and is alive again. We had to celebrate. He was lost and he's found. The irony here is that the older son is also living as a hired servant, just like the younger son planned to when he came back, even though he, he never left home. The older son thinks he's more deserving than the younger son of the blessings of the father, and so thus he's excluding himself from the blessings of the father. That's the thing about a party. Everybody gets to share in it, right? There's food and drink for all. But he refuses to enter into those blessings because he wants to be recognized as having be worthy of more blessings. He wants there to be a hierarchy. He wants there to be a meritocracy. But the kingdom of God isn't like that. It's not a meritocracy. It's not about who worked the hardest. It's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's about who's here and who's not. And if they're not, we go out to them. We invite them to come. They get to share in it just like we do. So the father moves toward his older son with compassion, just like he ran towards his younger son. Because they're both, both sons are assuming the life of a slave. Both sons are in need of the father's compassion and grace because they're both sinners. They're both in the same boat. They both need to be restored as family members. They both need to repent. And that's why this is such good news that Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them because we realize, ah, that's me. We don't see ourselves against the tax collectors and sinners, but now we see ourselves as one of them. And we all get to come to the party. The invitation's open. Be celebrated. Return. Come home. The tax collectors and sinners are doing it. They're coming to Jesus. They're responding to his ministry. But in refusing to celebrate this, the Pharisees are ironically excluding themselves from the very kingdom they think they deserve. And Jesus isn't interested here in dunking on the Pharisees. You guys know what I mean by that phrase? He's not like saying, bam, gotcha, you're wrong. He's adopting the position of the Father here and saying, you can come to the table too. Drop your judgments. Join the party. You need this just as much as they do. Come to the table. Celebrate with us. Come home. Because as Paul said, from now on, we no longer see anyone from a worldly point of view. We don't see anybody like that. We don't see anybody as better, worse. We're not measuring that anymore. Because in Christ, the new creation is here. The old is gone, the new has come. Be reconciled to God. That old world of competition is over. The new creation is here. God moves with compassion toward all who are alienated from him whether they're religious good boys and girls who've stayed at the house or they're irreligious bad boys and girls who've left home. We're all alienated, and we all need the Father's compassion. And God does this for us. He reconciles us to himself and to each other, and he celebrates us in his love. This man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. Will you drop your judgments and join the party? So let's respond to this today. We're meant to hear this parable as the older brother, that's why it has a little bit more bite than we usually think it does. Who's the younger brother for you? 
Who seems a little bit less deserving than you? Who is it that you find difficult to celebrate and rejoice when they receive blessing, when something good happens for them? Who is it difficult for you to imagine celebrating with? For me, and this might be a a specific person, it might be a group of people. Uh, For me, it's just a general thing of, I, I have this little radar about who's working hardest. I have a little radar about who's good at what they do and who's not. And I have these little micro judgments that go out every once in a while just to say, like, I could do that better. I deserve your platform more than you do. Whatever. I remember being frustrated at this conference. Uh, there were Friday night, we were all hanging out. And I remember being frustrated that my time was occupied with people that in my mind I didn't think were that important. It's another manifestation of that. People who wanted to talk with me, but I thought, well, talking with this person doesn't advance my other agendas. The father's response to the elder brother prompts us to ask this question, why are you upset? Why are you angry that others are repenting and returning and being blessed, being celebrated? What is it to you if they get blessed? We're invited to drop our judgments and reconcile with our younger brother, to join the party, to realize we're in need of the same grace as those to whom we think we are superior. So let's pray together. There's a prayer in your booklet uh, that I invite you to pray out loud if you want to. You can fill in the blank. And we'll spend some time doing this, and then we're going to pray. uh, We'll continue in prayer with the prayers of the people. Let's pray together. Father, I'll start. Father of all mercies, thank you for reconciling us to you and to each other in Christ. Help me to drop my judgments and move with compassion towards those who I think aren't working as hard as me and who aren't as worthy as me. Help me join the party of your love. Lord, in your mercy. Friends, you go into a world of people who only know pig slop or who are starving because of their own righteousness. Go with the aroma of Christ's feast, his reconciling healing power, the joy and peace of the Lord. Go with the knowledge of his love on your lips, in your hearts, through your hands to a hurting world. Go now as ambassadors for Christ. Proclaim God's message of reconciliation. Trust in God, rejoice in the Lord, and celebrate God's grace as it enfolds even the unworthy. And may God be your shelter and save you from ruin. May Christ Jesus teach you and show you the path to walk. And may the Holy Spirit watch out for you and encircle you with songs of freedom. Amen. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God.